much time or mental energy do you spend thinking about the groceries, dreaming about the meal you'll make for friends on Friday, or as your Sunday evening potluck offering, worrying about when you'll fit the shopping trip in, or where you'll fit the food into your pantry, or how you'll fit your teenage son's caloric needs into your tight family budget. Whether or not you enjoy the process of grocery shopping and cooking, we all need to eat. Sometimes our eating can feel like a blessing, and sometimes it can feel a bit more like a curse. How do we live in the tension between the two? Welcome to Kitchen Meditations, a weekly podcast from Edible Theology, where we examine the ways God meets us in the kitchen and at the table. I'm your host, Kendall Vanderslice. If you're hungry for a taste of God's hope and healing in the mundane tasks of your everyday life, then you've come to the right place. May these meditations bring you a bit of grounding as you prepare to eat today and every day. Let's get started with a little spiritual mise en place, a prayer to orient ourselves before we begin. In the professional kitchen, mise en place is the process of preparing your workspace for the dishes you are about to make. It involves measuring your ingredients and reading your recipe all the way through so you don't hit any snags once you get started. I like to think of it as a time to prepare my own mind and body as well asking God to be present with me as I cook or as I bake. Our spiritual mise en place today is drawn from the first chapter of Genesis, verse 12. Close your eyes, slow your breathing. As you inhale, repeat with me. The earth brought forth vegetation. And now as you exhale, and God saw that it was good. When I was in college, I was consumed with the need to figure out the best way to eat. I don't mean like buying the freshest ingredients and learning to cook elaborate meals. I mean, I was convinced that there had to be a single dietary plan or food philosophy that could all at once help my body function at its best, address soil degradation, minimize carbon emissions, pay farm laborers a fair wage, taste delicious, and work within my meager student budget. These ideas were sparked by a handful of health issues that I wanted to address through my diet, so I tried all kinds of things. I went low-sugar, low-carb, dairy-free for a while, making cakes out of almond meal, agave syrup, and ground flaxseed eggs. Then I tried raw vegan, eating nothing but plants, nuts, and seeds that had never been heated above 115 degrees Fahrenheit. Next, I swung the pendulum far in the opposite direction, eating a meat and dairy-heavy diet free of grains and full of fermented things. I brewed my own kombucha, soured my own yogurt, and even churned my own butter, all from the comfort of my little campus apartment. Somehow, my college roommate continued to be my friend. My thought process was pretty simple, really. I figured that if God created the world, including food and the human need to eat, then God must have some kind of plan for how to best grow food and cook and eat it too. 
In each history class and anthropology class and science class, I tried to make sense of how our food system became the way that it is to decipher what kind of diet could help fix my body and save the world. The truth, I came to realize, is a whole lot more complicated. I'm sure you felt the internal conflict before, this pang of worry over how you ought to shop or eat. The worries you face might be similar to mine, or they could be totally different. Maybe you have allergies and every meal or shopping excursion is a reminder that an incorrect label or a stray tree nut could spell grave danger. Maybe you know the grip of hunger, the worry over whether or not you will eat tomorrow or the next day or the next. The idea of the best food is laughable when you just want assurance you'll have any food at all. Maybe the very foods that connect you to your family and connect your family to home were the butt of jokes in elementary school. And now they're all the rage on Instagram among the very people who laughed at you all those years before. Maybe you can't look at food without counting up calories and wondering how many miles you'll have to run to burn it all off. Maybe you stand in a grocery store aisle and feel utterly conflicted because, like me, you want to pay attention to the treatment of farmhands and care for the soil, and you're aware of the danger of the current climate crisis, but your budget is tight, and your teenage boy eats 4,000 calories a day, and your 10-year-old won't eat vegetables, and your toddler is begging for Cheetos, and you cannot appease them all. How do you shop? How do you cook? How do you eat when everything feels so complicated? What does it mean for food to be good? For me, the path towards healing began by sitting with the opening chapters of Genesis, where I cannot help but read a story about some complicated meals. Scripture opens with a vision of God as a gardener, crafting life out of the void, speaking life into being. After separating light and dark, earth and sky, sun and stars, water and dry land, God formed soil, Adamah in Hebrew, the dry ground that brought forth trees and plants and seed-bearing fruits. God filled the earth and the seas and the skies with all kinds of creatures, big and small, and God called all of it good. Then God said, "Mm, let's craft one more thing, a creature in our image. And so picking up a handful of the lush Adamah, God breathed into it the breath of life. And behold, Adam, or Adam in Hebrew, a human being, soil animated by the breath of God. There was one aspect of this initial creation that God did not call good this human being all alone. So God created a partner to be Adam's helper and companion, another human to share in the delight of God's magnificent creation, another human to satisfy the need to exist in community. Then God called this created world very good. God told these human beings to do a pretty simple thing, to take care of this delicious world 
They were to govern the soil out of which they were made, to be fruitful and to multiply. In short, they were told to delight in God by delighting in God's creation. And for some wild and wonderful reason, God thought that it would be a great idea for humans to do this through eating. You and I were made with two primary needs, to get nutrition and energy from food and to find companionship in sharing our life with others. You could have been made with skin that could transform energy from the sun or feet that could draw energy out from the soil. But instead of chlorophyll, you got a tongue. Instead of a root system, you got a table. You got thousands of taste buds that work together with your sense of smell and that make the act of eating, especially eating with friends and family, a pleasurable experience. Eating is at the heart of God's plan for humans from the beginning of creation. It's God's way of meeting our most basic needs while also bringing us great pleasure. It's a way to delight in God by delighting in the things that God made. Now I can already see you rolling your eyes. Yeah, cool theology, you're probably thinking. But eating is expensive. It's exhausting. It's time-consuming. It's hard. Does God care about that? Now before I spin God as some kind of elite Epicurean, let's take a look at the next part of the story. Two trees stood together in the middle of the garden where the first humans lived, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. God had only given these early humans one thing to do, to delight. But God had given them one restriction as well, a restriction on what they could eat. Feast upon the fruits of all of the trees, God said, just stay away from one, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But as you probably know, the temptation proved too great. And so they plucked from the forbidden tree and they ate. They took the vegetation that was intended to sustain and to be sustained by them. And they used it selfishly. Immediately, their eyes were opened. With juice still dripping down their fingers, they looked down at their naked bodies. Rather than behold the beauty of her curves or the powerful ability for her belly to bring forth new life, the woman saw the dimples of her thighs and the softness of her middle. The man felt sweat break out upon his brow as the soil sprouted forth thistles and thorns. They felt shame at the nakedness they had always known as beauty, and they looked to the vegetation around them to cover up. In that bite, these first humans realized that everything God created and called good could be used for evil as well. In just one quick meal, all the relationships that God designed as good, relationship with your body, with the ground, with your neighbors and family, and ultimately relationship with God, became relationships marked by shame. The joy of new life, whether out of the ground or out of the woman's body, required sweat and tears and pain. 
As much as the table unites us to one another and to our Creator, it also reminds us that the world is not as it's meant to be. Food and eating mark the brokenness of this creation that God so loves. Every time we shop, every time we cook, every time we eat, we live into this complex tale. A story about food and bodies that God called good. And a story about a world that is not as it's meant to be. There is no straightforward answer. No single best way to eat that can save us from the pain of being human beings with human hungers and needs in a broken but beloved creation. Here is our great consolation, though in this tension between blessing and curse. God is not finished writing this story yet. In the meantime, we can simply do our best to taste the goodness of God and the limitations we live with today. Inhale, the earth brought forth vegetation, and God saw that it was good. We'll get to our kitchen tip in just a moment, but first I want to take a quick break to tell you more about Edible Theology. Edible Theology is an educational media project helping you connect the communion table to the kitchen table. We offer Bible studies, bread baking workshops, and a digital community to help you meet God through food. If you're curious to learn more about the ways bread shows up all over scripture, you'll love Bake with the Bible, our six-week study on bread and the Gospels. Each week includes a family-friendly recipe and activity, discussion questions and reading recommendations, as well as a scriptural and cultural historical lesson. Your whole family will enjoy journeying through the gospel through the lens of bread. Buy your copy today on our website, www.edibletheology.com. Our kitchen tip today is for those of you who want to make your grocery shopping a bit more thoughtful and reflective. It's easy to get bogged down by the thought that you'll be closest to God at the farmer's market or cooking everything from scratch. But how many of us actually have the money or the time? Here's where I would start instead. Identify one grocery item in your cart or on your list that is a gift to you in the midst of your limitation. Maybe it's the sale on local muscadine grapes, which means you'll have a delicious snack the next few days that fits within your budget. Maybe it's Trader Joe's new vegan cream cheese alternative, which means your daughter, who is allergic to dairy, will get to have a bagel and schmear for breakfast with the rest of the family. Maybe it's that 99-cent box of mac and cheese that will make dinner a breeze halfway through the week when you don't have the energy to cook anymore. Take a moment to thank God for that taste of goodness in the midst of your limitation. Second, identify one item you can change up in order to connect a bit more closely with creation and the folks who bring your food to life. If you have the time for a farmer's market trip, wander the stalls, chat with the farmers. You don't have to buy all of your produce from them, but see if you can get one or two things. If the farmer's market is out of the question, Check if your grocery store posts the name of any farm that grows their produce. If you can, purchase one item from a farm that you can identify 
a head of lettuce, or a bunch of radishes. As you cook and eat these items, thank God for that particular farm and the women and men who tend it. And now to close, a prayer for grocery shopping. Gardener God, open my eyes to your handiwork in each aisle of the store. In the deep green of collards and the snap of beans, in the dirt still clinging to the roots of radishes, in the winter provision of squashes and gourds. Help me taste just a bit of delight, even when I'm shopping in a hurry, even when I'm counting every penny, even when I want to think of food as only fuel. You brought forth this vegetation and said that it was good. May I sense your goodness as I shop today. Kitchen Meditations is brought to you by Edible Theology, where the communion table meets the dinner table. Learn more and sign up for our weekly newsletter at edibletheology.com. And be sure to follow us on Instagram at edibletheology. A huge thank you to Hannah Hargrave and to our producers, Nick Thompson and Richard Clark at Area Code, who made this podcast possible. We would love it if you could rate and review us on iTunes, then share this episode with your friends. Your help ensures that others discover this podcast too.